Before diving into this episode, we just wanted to issue a short apology. We recorded this over Skype without headphones, which was a first and last for us, as you'll see why. Uh, so the audio quality in this upcoming episode will not be super high quality. But to make up for it, we're going to release a bonus episode this week where Jack and I talk through a handle listener wrote in. Despite the audio quality, we hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, Zach. Hey, Jack. How you doing, man? Doing good. Ready to talk some poker. Yeah, as always. Right, let's do it. Why don't, you, why don't you introduce our guest today? So, Chris is a local grinder at the Cleveland Horseshoe and a friend of mine. And how are you doing tonight, Chris? I'm good. How are you? Doing doing good. Uh, so, you know, I saw, saw you at the shoe last night and you said you, you had a hand with a kind of non-traditional... 1-3 villain. Can you tell us a little bit about the player and about the hand? Okay. Um, there's a lot of info here, so I'll start kind of at the beginning. Um, I'm unfamiliar with this guy. I've seen him a lot. He plays... I've always seen him at the 2-5 game, but you know I don't play 2-5 that much because it's never that good. Um, he seems solid, but he, he seemed to be pretty spewy at times, especially pre-flop and in position. He uh, raised a wide range of hands in position, obviously, and seemed to limp way too wide. Uh, he's shown up with hands like 9-4 off on the button. Um, I think probably because he overestimates his edge while in position, even against weak players. Um, for a while, he was in the three-seat, and I was in the one-seat, and we didn't really get involved in too many hands. But uh, when the seat when seat four opened up, I changed to it, so he was directly on my right. And in our first meaningful hand together, on an A6X flop, two-club flop, he bet the flop, bet the turn, and then called my turn raise. And on the river, he said, I guess if you missed your draw, you have to bet before he checked. So I bet a pretty sizable amount, and he ended up folding. He asked what I had. I told him, top pair, top kicker, ace, king. And he told me what he had. He said 9-6 for middle pair on the flop with no draws. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And then that all led up to the hand that we're going to talk about. Hmm. Cool. And uh, just a disclaimer, I played a little bit of 2-5 with this guy last night uh, at the shoe. And I probably only played with him for about an hour hour and a half, but we were generally like six and seven handed. So I also, you know, I might be a little impartial because I played with him too, but I'll try to let that not cloud my judgment for this hand. Yeah. And just a note to the listeners, uh, I think it's probably a really good idea for Chris to have switched seats considering, uh, the style of play this guy has. So keep that in mind in your own sessions. Yeah. I mean, even this guy seems like you know, at least like a somewhat competent player, but even like a fairly incompetent, if they're like a kind of a more loose aggressive player who's not afraid to put the pressure on, like even a bad lag, as they say, can make your life pretty miserable if they have position on you. All right. So let's hear about the hand. Okay. Um, One limper in middle position, pretty weak player. Um, This guy raises in the hijack to 12. I call in the cutoff with ace queen off. I could probably three bet, but I decided not to. And the limper calls, so the flop is. Ace. Wait, so so before we get to the flop, I, let's just talk about the decision to flat versus three betting. 
Okay. What are what are the stack sizes of the the main villain and then the the limper? Um, the limper is I think about two hundred deep, and I'm about six fifty or seven hundred deep with uh, villain. Yeah. So I my my first thought is that it's a pretty big mistake not to three bet this hand in position against this player. Uh, I think even though he's out of position, this is. The way you describe him, he's the type of player who's going to call way too wide, especially if you give him decent odds, like just making it kind of like a 2.5x, 3x, 3-bet. And I just think you're just so ahead of his opening range as well as ahead of his you know call of your 3-bet range that you kind of have to bump it up for value. There, right. you, Even if you then miss the limper who might be a more straightforward player, like there's still a lot of value when you're you know over 200 big blinds deep with this guy and blowed in the pot. Right. Okay. Well, what? Sorry, what seat was he? Yo, he was in the hijack in the cutoff. Yes. Uh, is he ever limping out of the hijack? Uh, yes. He he overlimps a lot in position. Okay. Uh, I still agree that it's a three bet, but yeah, I think it's important to note that uh, he's probably not not as wide as nine four when he opens there. Yeah. Uh, right. But yeah. Okay. Uh, you said the limper called? Yes. And we go to the flop, and it's ace, ten, eight, rainbow. Limper checks, and the villain bets 12. And then I raise to 45. The limper folds, and he calls. Hmm. Um, do you want to discuss the flop or move to the turn? Yeah, no, we should discuss the flop. What was your uh, reaction to such a small continuation bet? Um, I actually thought I put kind of a lot of weird draws in its range. Maybe middle pair, but I doubt it. Uh, like when he bets 12, I, I doubt he's really got something like ace-jack or even ace-ten. He'd probably want to get value out of that, especially given his image. Yeah, and he's definitely someone who's going to be aware of that image, so... I think you could pretty safely take, you know, top pair, good kicker, or even really top pair plus out of his range uh, when he makes that bet. I, maybe occasionally you can add in some, like, sets that he's just kind of trying to play deceptively uh, on, like, a, a rare occasion. But I think besides that, yeah, his range is definitely capped with this C-bet sizing. Mm-hmm. It seems like kind of a strange bet with a draw to me. Because he can't feel like he has that much fold equity... Anyway, and if, it's especially if he bets twelve. So I I definitely agree that it, it seems like middle pair on eight or a ten. So yeah, I, I do like uh, a small raise here, just for for value from those hands. You know, especially if you can get from jack ten, queen ten. Yeah, and I think this is definitely a really good spot to do this uh, because you have this dynamic with him where you know he's like willing to call you down with middle pair and you made a huge kind of relatively polarizing river bet that he folded to. So for most players, especially as described, that's going to make them a lot more likely to call next time they're in a spot where you could potentially, you know, not have a value hand like here. Uh, so I definitely like raising. I like the size that you kind of size it a little bit on the bigger side, doing a little bit four X's smaller bet. I think that's, that's a raise size that's going to get called by like, the vast majority of his eights, tens, and then all of his pairs, you know, jacks, queens, and kings that he shows up with. 
Uh, and that's, you know, kind of like what you're saying, Jack. That's how I'm ranging him. Like, pairs mm-hmm. between tens and, eight and, and aces and then ten, tens and eights is, I think, the bulk of his range here. And I think we can maybe even get away with a little bit bigger, but, like, the general idea of raising on the bigger side, I think, is good because he's going to be a lot more likely to call this raise than he might, like, a sizable Turner river bet. What about, like, a really weak ace? Uh, you know, ace, twos, three, four, suited. I guess I'll, I'll assume suited for now, but, you know, I guess maybe this guy could also be playing some ace, seven, offsuit. Yeah. I mean, my... my Again, I'm a little cloudy because I played with him, uh, but I, I I don't feel like he has a lot of top pair, even with a bad kicker, when he makes it this sizing. Does that sound right, Chris? That sounds about right. Uh, yeah, I don't think you'd be betting 12 with top pair. It, it seems very odd. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem odd. Okay. All right, so you said uh, fold call. Uh, yes. All right. He pretty quickly called. So, so now, just to kind of recap for everyone, we have about 125 in the pot going to the turn with uh, maybe like around 600 behind for Correct. both of you left? Correct. Okay, cool. Right. Uh, the turn is the four of clubs, which bring, brings a backdoor club draw. Hmm. Um, he checks. I bet 90, and he pretty quickly calls. So yeah, I definitely I like I like the bet. Obviously, just trying to get value from his worst pairs. I like the sizing. It's it's. I think in these spots, especially when you like have a sense of his tendencies, but really doesn't know how he's going to react to certain sizings. It's probably better to not try to get too greedy here, because I think a player like this can probably correctly tease out that like if you bet closer to pot or even over bet here, you're just so much more likely to have a value hand where like a bet between like 80, 80 and 100, at least his mind is going to look like it could be balanced with a lot more more draws. So my, my, my gut feeling is that I like the sizing. It's kind of uh, the most you can get away with and expect to get a call most of the time given the dynamic. So I like it. Yeah, I agree. And I also think, I think against other players who were ranging similarly, you we might want to go for... More like a half to two-thirds size bet, so, you know, 60 to 80. But I think against this player who, you know, you said uh, in your hand history, or the history leading up to it called you with middle pair uh, on a turn raise, I think it's pretty safe to bet three-quarter pot here just for value and expect him to continue with a lot of tens and uh, other middle pairs. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, So did he... Oh, yeah, he called. Yes, he called pretty quickly. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, about 300 heading to the river. Uh, the river is an offsuit jack. The uh, backdoor club draw does not complete. Um, and this is where it kind of got weird. Uh, he tanked for a pretty long time, uh, almost to the point where I almost thought that he had checked and I had missed it. <laughs> and he eventually led into me for 185. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, Will you say this is a pretty competent player? Yes. Uh, I definitely think it's possible. I mean, I do think the jack hits his range, because I think we've got probably hands like 8 jack suited, jack 10, uh, jacks, 
in this range, so there, there's a chance he could just be value betting here. But I also think that if you think this is a competent player, albeit sort of a splashy player, he could you know get to this spot and say to himself that he he has to turn his eights into a bluff here, and he's fooling himself if he thinks that eights is going to hold down or hold if you check behind, and that you're going to you know check back a draw here. Uh, often enough for him to win with his eights. Yeah, I I think when I see this bet, I think the most likely hand is, yeah, a hand like Jack said, that was a hand that was kind of hero-calling you and then improved and is value betting. And e- even though this guy's pre-flop range and calling flop and turn range is like pretty wide and you're ahead of it, uh, I, I would expect to make this call and not be good most of the time, but, you know, given the odds that you're getting, uh, you only need to be good, what, like 27% of the time to make this a profitable call. So I think this is kind of just like a, you know, call you have to make and are definitely good at least that time, that amount of time, and probably not good much more than 50% of the time. Uh, But you kind of have to make it just given how, how wide his range is and the kind of weird way he's been playing. So, um, kind of thoughts that I had after the hand, like, way after, um, if he's, if he knows that I'm capable of betting for value with one pair, like in the previous hand, Mm -hmm. do you think he would hop to check raise river instead of leading with hands that improved? I think he'd be a lot more likely to do that maybe with like a set of jacks, but I'm I'm not sure he would like even if he can think through this like away from the table or even like at the table, like kinda having the balls to pull the trigger on like a really thin value check raise is just not something I would put in his arsenal of, of like moves until you, you see you see something that warrants it. But I mean I, I play with him a little bit and I definitely think it's possible, but I don't think it's possible enough that like uh, we should say it's likely. Yeah, I guess my other my other question is like your image. Have you been three betting very often at this table? No, not at all. Not at all. Mm. Okay, I was going to say if you had been three betting, then I think he might not consider hands like ace king and ace queen to be likely, and therefore might not think you have that many one pair hands that are going to. Uh, Bet three streets. But if he does think you have ace-king in your range here, then I think the play is more likely. Uh, but I still think that, you know, it, it's more likely that he's turning a hand into a bluff here. You know, because he, he might even think that, like, with holding a 10, that the best-case scenario that you were holding uh, queen-jack or jack-nine, now you can just check it back, and he's not good. Yeah, and and again, I still think like his sizing just seems very valuey to me, and that I would guess that if he's gonna bluff in this spot, he would probably pick a bigger sizing. But again, just given the pot odds, I, I think it's it's just like I can't really see a strong argument for doing anything but calling here. Chris, did you did you do anything but call or have a like afterhand? Uh, uh, yeah, I folded actually. Oh, okay. What really kind of made me lean towards folding was the unusually long time that it took him to make the bet. Mm. I I think 
if he does have like a draw or some kind of pair that he knows is probably not good before the river, he probably knows he's going to bluff the river. So I, mm. I don't know. It's it's it seemed odd to, for him to be tanking so long with air. I I I get that. I do think actually that the jack makes it more likely that he would tank with a hand like tens or eights. Realizing that uh, had you been bluffing, you very likely now have a pair. And then sort of deliberating. Yeah, I, I think this is... I think I think you're right. And that, like, I think a really long tank, again, is something that would weight this bet more towards value than, like, not knowing anything about his timing. But I, I'm just going to kind of take it back to the pot odds thing again, like... If one out of four times he's bluffing here, like you have a profitable call. So, I I just think we need to call here because he's, you know, somewhat of an unknown, and I think is definitely capable of bluffing the spot, even if kind of little things like the bet sizing and the the timing lean us towards uh, the fact that he's value betting against some villains. I think you could easily make this exploitable fold because they're just so unbalanced here, but based on what we've observed about this guy, I think he can definitely show up with a lot of hands here that would be tempted to bluff, and for whatever reason might think about it a lot. And he also, you know, this is the type of guy who thinks he has, like, a huge edge on everyone at the table and probably, like, loves confrontations with, like, what he perceives as, like, stronger players, and, like, that's probably a lot of the thrill for the game for him. So, like... He might even, like, t- be taking extra long as some type of metagame right, thing. Yeah. Like, it's just really hard to know with kind of a player like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do think it's really close, but I, I definitely, yeah, I definitely am seeing this as a call as well. Do you think he's? Uh, do you think he's bet folding River with a lot of his range, even his value range? Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. and, and again, I'm, I'm biased because I play with him, but I, I saw him bet fold, like twice in spots where like from when I was observing the hand he was playing against straightforward players that when they raised him they always had it and it it looked like he bet folded value hands at least twice when I was playing with him yeah so I I think he definitely can bet fold here but also you know you just had that big hand with him where he almost called you down with middle pair and might be itching to call so like who knows maybe Maybe he doesn't have a bet folding range in this spot. Maybe he thinks he does, but then when you raise him, he gets really frustrated and calls. To be clear, I, I definitely wouldn't raise in this right, spot. Right. Yeah, but. I was just curious what you think he, how he would react if I had raised. What if you were in my spot? Um, which hands are you are you raising? Like, what is the bottom of your raising range there? Hmm, that's a good question. I think I'm raising. Ace Jack, yeah, uh, and I, I guess I don't think I'm raising Jack Ten. So I guess yeah, Ace Jack is probably. We're also not gonna ever get to the river with Jack Ten. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. Ace Jack, I think, is. Yeah, I guess Ace Jack is the bottom of my raising range there, and I think when you raise, you would have to shove because if if he bet, what did he bet? One eighty into into like three hundred. Uh, yeah, like 185 into 305. And you have 500 left, yeah. I mean, 
I if you're if you're trying to shove to get called by worse and think he has enough worse hands in his range to call uh, and that those hands will call, then I think you're just missing value from a player like this by not shoving. If you were gonna value shove uh, a hand like Ace Jack there, which I which I think you should given given the meta game, especially because I think this player is confident enough to turn Jack Eight and Jack Ten into a into a bet like kind of into a lead out there. Yeah, the the thing is, based on the range we're giving him, there's really no reason not to do the same play with Ace Ten and Ace Eight. Yeah, I mean, there's no hands. Oh, I completely forgot about those yeah, hands. Yeah, I did too. That's that's <laughs> why I wanted to interrupt you. Yeah, so I guess Ace Eight is probably the worst hand that I'm uh, raising for value. Yeah. No, and I think that's a good. It's good you asked this because this is one of these spots where I think it's actually theoretically like a really good spot to make a thin value raise. Where like on a board like that, when two, over two hundred big blinds go in, it's you know it's rare that like a hand like Ace Eight is going to be the best hand. But I think against this player with the, these dynamics, it will very often be the best hand. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, I I do think that it's likely he'll call with Jack Ten and Jack Eight, given what we know about this player. Okay. All right. Well, did you ever talk to him about the hand after and? Find out. No, I didn't. I didn't actually. I I was gonna ask him if he had it since he was willing to tell me his hand before, but I felt like I would have to tell him my hand, and I didn't mm-hmm. want I didn't want to exactly tell him I folded ace queen in that spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I think that was probably wise. I mean, you could have told him you had like king jack. <laughs> yeah, I could have. That's what I do. Even that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm kind of sharing my secret with the world now, so don't tell anyone if you play at the shoe. But yeah, if I if I if I'm telling you my hand at the table, you should you should not believe me. <laughs> there's no there's no good reason for for me to tell you my hand. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have any closing thoughts, Chris? Yeah. Not really. It's just uh, I appreciated the feedback. I thought it was actually pretty solid and. Uh, helpful especially on the river that's the part that kind of i just really didn't have a clue what to do i probably should have called there's also the value of calling there and kind of knowing how he's playing rivers even if i'm wrong Mm, yeah i mean a a little bit like uh, if you're you know if you're playing with him on a regular basis over the course of many months then like yeah but i think in this spot it's that that's a more marginal factor compared to just like right yeah but there, that is I think it's that's not something that's should not should be discounted a hundred percent. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, Chris. Appreciate you bringing in the hand, and for all the listeners out there, you know, make sure to check out the site justhandspoker.com for you know the blog post with uh, the hand history kind of written out, as well as the discussion that will ensue in the comments. Keep tuning in every Tuesday. Uh, We've got some more great guests coming up soon. Uh, And we'll see you guys next week.